This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MarketScale Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Today, we're exploring the impact of community building in healthcare. It's something that social workers face on the daily, and it's not easy. Engaging community leaders, organizations, residents, and governments all require different tactics and each fill a necessary void for complete and comprehensive community-based care. I'd like to re-welcome our friends at WRAAA, or the Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging, to give their insight on the topic. Today we're speaking with Haven J. Oley, Aging and Disability Resource Center Supervisor. Haven, great to have you on. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I always love chatting with people at WRAAA. You all have the same passion, but come at it from so many different angles. And really, you know, I think it's important to shed some light on the challenges that social workers face, because I think it's an aspect of healthcare that doesn't often get as much glam or talk as other sides of the industry. Absolutely. So when it comes to social work, why is engaging the community so crucial to providing quality care? And let's start from a a funding perspective. Well, you have to know who your champions and who your supporters are in any community. So as a social worker, it's very evident to us we need to identify new trends, new business opportunities, and new sources of referrals and information to better serve our community. So it's definitely something that is a constant uh, theme of our organization and what we try to accomplish in terms of um, navigating through our five-county area with the thousands of available um, resources and pieces of information. So it's really about mapping out the priorities and, again, partnering with organizations and uh, services that are in line with what we're trying to do as well. So f- from a financial perspective, how does engaging the community directly impact basically the, the budget that you have on creating quality care? Well, the more folks in the community know about us and what we're trying to achieve and accomplish, the easier it is for them to understand what our needs are. So when we engage with community partners, whether it's a state representative or um, a U.S. congressman that visits our offices, or just a new opening of a um, shelter on the west side, for instance, we want to not just know about these um, folks in in these services, we want to talk to them, find out their names, and we want to visit them because there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to serve the same clients. And we are always keying on the idea of mutual success. You know, our success is our client's success as well as the partners that we already have. So it's very important that we kind of align together. Yeah, it's it's a group effort for all intents and purposes. Absolutely. So I know community-based care for elder patients, or at least the style that WRAAA is promoting, is really contingent on those elder patients being integrated into the community. Does this motivate the outreach and the kind of outreach that organizations like WRAAA do? Absolutely. We know that folks do better in the least restrictive environments. So when we are able to keep them in their homes with appropriate services, we know we're enhancing their lives and we're impacting their family as well, taking care of them. So when we align them with an adult day program in a community and also um, couple that with a home delivered meal program, 
we know that we're, we're meeting a lot of their basic core needs, allowing them to still participate in the communities that they grew up and live in and, you know, have fun in. And it just, it's kind of a win for everybody because we're, we're limiting the amount of folks that are seeking nursing home placement for things that we can help through our organization and through our waiver programs and partnerships through that. And I'm sure there's a, a passive effect of mental stability, too, for those elder patients when they see individuals in their community consistently being there for them as part of these programs, even though it is a more structured program, it isn't just like an individual out of the goodness of their heart coming to help, it still is motivated by that passion, right? That that community-centric care and that, you know, the people within the community are giving back to the elders within the community. Everyone feels that. Absolutely. And, you know, another key part of all this is just the socialization that is provided as an unintended consequence of this. So when people are delivering meals, when somebody's home health aide is visiting to set them up for the day, a lot of times these folks and these providers become an extension of family. So it's key that we all have professionally have a great working relationship because the clients feel that, you know, and and they benefit from that. And when organizations, you know, don't have that type of partnership and they're not really in tune with all the other providers, well, that leaves more opportunities up to um, make it more challenging for for our clients. So most definitely we want to um, know what's out there and we also want to um, put folks in position to help our clients. And again, the unintended benefit of that is the extra socialization and um, the idea that somebody cares about me today and somebody's going to visit me today. So that that can be a very powerful uh, factor. This is something that I've learned personally uh, based on other conversations I've had on this podcast and just general community involvement. But engaging the general public, I think, really comes down to setting up nodes of education within that community. Because WRAAA can't educate alone. It can't carry that burden of getting everyone informed on what it takes to um, to deliver quality community-based elder care. You know, you can do a majority of that heavy lifting, but it takes uh, it takes a group. It takes um, several people, and it really just a general community to push that forward. So how do you find ways to get the community to be self-sustainable when it comes to elder care education? You know, how do you how do you find those those organizations and do that outreach that doesn't force you to have to do it again every single day, every month, every year, but you're helping inform, educate the community and get people passionate in sort of a domino effect way? Well, you know, that's a great question, Daniel, and we do it through a, a variety of ways. Um one way is really through natural partnerships that we have through our programs and the fact through Title III, we fund a lot of transportation, home-delivered meals, and senior centers in our five-county area. So we already have a natural partnership that we just have to enhance and pay attention to. And there's also a lot of other organizations that invite us to talk to them because they're not familiar with everything that we do and some of the nuance of Medicaid and waiver programs. So we make it a habit, our organization makes it a habit of, of engaging the community. Um, you know, next week I'll be in Joga County talking to the Department of Job and Family Services staff about how we do things here in terms of our referral process. And the hope is they have that information and they'll spread that as well. So we're going to continue to engage um, our, our community, each county individually. And we're very happy to go out and, and give presentations and talks to kind of build that momentum, build that understanding of what we do and its importance level. A lot of folks only realize what we do when things are going very wrong in their lives. Somebody's had a, had a fall, somebody's had a stroke, 
Um, I, I can't take off any more work. What do I do? So these are very challenging um, and important situations that we're on the forefront of addressing. And we take that very seriously, and it is definitely a privilege. But for us to carry that out successfully, it really has to do with our partnerships and collaborations, because there's no chance we'd be able to do this you know, alone without very strong um, partnerships. What are some examples of community leaders taking some of that initiative and helping continue the conversation without WRAAA having to, to orchestrate the entire outreach process? Well, it's that's uh, there's multiple approaches to that. I'll tell you one of the one of the most helpful things is when somebody in the community, community leader, one of our uh, political leaders, has a personal experience that touches over through our agency, whether it's mom or dad, um, a husband, uh, a child that's struggling with a health issue. Uh, that usually is one of the highest ways of engaging them because they call us and we're able to navigate where they need to go. And then the beautiful thing about that is then they tell that story, whether it's at the state house in Columbus or whether they're at a you know a Lions meeting in their community. So it's a lot of word of mouth is also very important to what we do. So the partnership thing kind of goes on multiple levels, obviously the macro level um, and then down to the micro level of individuals telling their story as well. And that, that all serves to benefit uh, the next group of people that we're trying to assist. Yeah, I feel like with this kind of work, the stories carry a lot of value um, because I think intrinsically what makes community-based care important is that there is an emphasis on the individual, the individual's experience, and really making it feel like it's an integrated part of their life, not like they are now having to transition into some some sterile kind of care side of their life now, right? It's just, it's a continuation. So since naturally the emphasis is on the individual and on giving them um, an unimpeded back half of their life, that correlates, I think, into how you educate on the topic too. It comes down to the individual again, to telling those stories and speaking on how this kind of care impacted grandma, impacted a husband impacted, you know, a sister, a brother. All, I think all of that goes a longer way with this kind of care than maybe other aspects of the industry. Absolutely, too, because even the family members for these individuals, you know, they're part of the care team as well. So we all kind of partner together on, on what we do in the homes, whether it's home health aides assisting somebody, whether it's like at home delivered meals, emergency response systems. We have our piece in this too, but it's very engaging for the family because they do feel empowered. You know, they're part of this team too, and they don't want to see their loved one need to be placed unnecessarily in long-term care. Um, so there, there's that drive for all of us to, to do the right thing and then have thoughtful conversations though when things change, when that, when that time has come that perhaps it's not safe anymore in the home. That conversation is a lot easier to have as it's been ongoing with the care manager, with our staff and the resource center, and with family. So it does make this the aging process a little bit easier to digest and understand in terms of what your options are, which is key in this juncture. So when you're building these relationships and you're trying to establish an open line of communication with an organization, an individual, or a business, what kind of resources have you seen are the most useful from those community leaders and businesses? Um, and how do you have those conversations to create aligning interests with WRAAA to not only do something that will benefit that organization or individual or business, but you know their resources are now going to impact the community as well? Well, that's there's multiple approaches to that too, but Again, it kind of just starts with 
knowing who's in your community, knowing what some of the needs are, and to understand who the key players are in that. So when it comes to um, a specific need, we would want to know who's doing it well in that area, whether it's a, a rural county that we cover or whether it's more metropolitan in downtown Cleveland. We'd want to know who's doing it right, who's doing it well. We want to have a conversation with them and see if our organization can have a, a deeper alignment with them. Can we have a pathway to refer to them directly? Can we talk to their funders? Um, can we discuss what we're noticing on our end? So a lot of it is education, information, um, data analysis in, in the hands of the key individuals in our community. Uh, and some of those folks are our elected officials as well. They do hold uh, certain you know, powers that would be greatly beneficial for our clients, whether it's the City of Cleveland, Department of Aging, we want to know about some of their programs and if there's any crossover with what we're doing, or even state level. Um, and that's why we have a very active advocacy here in our organization where we want to go down to Columbus on a quarterly basis and talk to our officials because we want them to feel this. We want them to know what the trends and what the issues are. And that's really how you get traction and, you know, having that FaceTime with our local representatives telling these stories. And then, you know, on their journeys, they, they that sinks in with them and they are able to kind of repeat that and regurgitate it when they need to in terms of building consensus or um, helping to identify things. So that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it can be very dynamic and a very tricky process, but it's, it's super important. And you have to be very savvy with it, too. You don't want to step on toes, and you want to understand. We, there's a lot of organizations and agencies that might do something similar to what we do. So we're not trying to compete with them and um, discourage them. We actually want to partner with them. We want to see, is this a, an opportunity to make this service even easier to access, or we want to partner with you to see how we can meet this unserved area in a rural county. So it's important that we have that mind frame um, when we talk to folks. So Daniel, an example that comes to mind is uh, when I was a social worker in the ICU, we had a lot of clients that would come through that had needs that would prevent them from being readmitted or having um, some serious health consequences. Sometimes it was simple as I need a refrigerator for my medications or I, you know, I need to pay my rent. I've been out for a few weeks and I'm in danger of um, being evicted. So when we started hearing this uh, repeated, these types of situations, um, I started thinking about partnership and, co and community collab collaborations. We had so many providers that were so anxious to do business. Uh, I thought of an, a 5K race, uh, a charity race, and thought about how fun that would be on a true collaboration, all these different organizations, our hospital itself, and then the clients. And uh, we put that idea forth and we ran this 5K for a good five years, raising $70,000 between 2006 and 2011. What that did was when those clients then reappeared at our hospital that really just needed one item that might have been under $200 to you know, help them be more secure in the community, now we just sought approval from um, our hospital board and that same day we're able to meet that need and that was you know really a great collaboration because all these providers were happy to donate to this because again they wanted to do business with us they wanted people to know their names and as a result of that you know for the last um 10 years now folks have been able to receive some extra assistance uh normally that would never happen there's not another program um, that existed like that so it's just kind of an opportunity to partner 
And then the partnerships came naturally. Then the next year they were asking us, hey, we're doing this again. We, we want to be a gold level sponsor. So it's even just kind of random fun stuff like that to think about what could a partnership do for our hospital or our region. And for that particular era in that hospital, it made a huge impact that's still lasting today. So the importance of thinking outside the box even on potential partnerships, you know, areas of interest that you know somebody has uh, can, be, can be very impactful, obviously, down the road. Right, because those partnerships can come from that kind of like one step removed position of we'd like you to partner on an event or a program or getting a speaker into town to talk on X thing, but the proceeds go to WRAAA or they go to this program of ours, right? And so I think it's getting creative with those partnerships where you probably see some of the best returns because the, I think the, the more standard or expected partnerships or asks of these leaders and organizations, though, you know, you're trying to appeal to that community base and to getting people to uh, to care about people within their community. I mean, a, a lot of times there has to be that extra level of of I I don't know excitement or um, or just something special that elevates this from just partner with us to help our cause, but partner with us for this exciting once-in-a-lifetime event, uh, maybe that's a little too grand, but, <laughs> but you, you know what I'm going for. Yeah. It's that, that kind of engagement that goes beyond just the cause, but, but gives something for people to do, or something for people to engage with. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just about, like I said, seeking different opportunities. There's all the natural pathways available, but then there's also some unique things that, you know, you might have a relationship with a company that, you know, produces these races. You might understand the importance of something that we can't find funding for in any other way, shape, or form. These things can occur naturally too. And and like I said, it's these these are these opportunities are out there everywhere. So we certainly try to be super mindful of them at our organization. And I tell my team all day long, make the call, schedule a visit, tour that facility, because we want to have that type of relationship with these folks. That we want them to know we care, we're invested. We're not just gonna you know send you over an email. I mean, we want to visit you. We want to see what you're doing. So that has produced some really positive results and and collaborations with us. So I know you kind of already brought this up, but I think the group that demands the uh, the most different style of approach has to be government entities. Um, so how do you approach those interactions? What do they typically look like? Um, is there anything different that you have to keep in mind when you're speaking with local leaders or state-level leaders even? Um, and why is their engagement particularly important for quality elder care? Yeah, that's that's a really key point, Daniel. And Oftentimes, you know, it's easy to be short-sighted on that, to think, you know, that's really high-level stuff. I don't know. I don't know if we can make an impact. But I can tell you we can make an impact, and we do make an impact just by simply meeting with them. So we we will send folks to Columbus on a quarterly basis to meet with our representatives, and they get about five, ten minutes. And we make these stories real. It's one thing to hear something, read it in the news, but when you have real examples of somebody you just served, you just helped— you know, especially in the region where the politicians live, they understand this on a deeper level, and they're going to carry that story with them. So we, we are certainly key in on our elected officials and just um, developing a deeper relationship with them. What ultimately, though, needs to happen is the stories are very important and impactful. They have to be supported with data as well and trends. So this all has to kind of come together in a nice little delicate dance. 
um, but they're all equally important. So we, we certainly need to understand, for instance, where the state budget is going in the next few years. We need to understand how that could impact us. And we want to identify the people we need to talk to about that, which we're currently doing. So these are just kind of natural inroads for us to be able to um, take these conversations uh, forward and you know, make some necessary points to our officials. So to kind of wrap things up, Haven, I think at the core of this conversation and really the core of, of everything that you're doing at WRAAA is healthy relationships between all of these communities. Um, the elder patients, the caregivers, the businesses, organizations, local leadership, uh, individuals, right? It's that harmony between all of them. How does WRAAA balance those relationships, and how do you really balance those relationships as an individual? Um, you know, how do you make sure to maintain the best interests of all of these groups, as well as your patients that you're tasked to serve? So the balance of the relationships is a good question and a good point because it's ongoing and it's constant. It's something that you always have to be mindful of. We always have existing relationships that we're always going to be uh, paying attention to and to want to cultivate and, and grow those relationships deeper. And there's opportunities, too, that we are leveraging in terms of people that do something extremely well, and we want to know more about that. So really it's a balance of knowing what we already do well, who we already you know have really strong partnerships with, and determining, do we want to take this into a different direction or do we want to enhance what we currently have in front of us? So it's ongoing and it's done in multiple ways. It's done through informal groups, think tanks. It's also done through a lot of our conferences and our annual meetings where we invite people from the community. We invite our providers and elected officials. And we really have a discussion and show what we've been able to do very well and discuss opportunities moving forward. So we have these fairly frequently throughout our organization just because of how dynamic it truly is. And so it's it's an ongoing, constant um, push forward. And it's kind of actually fun. I mean, there's so many different opportunities and people to connect with um, that it, it can be overwhelming. But we have very good focus here, so it allows us to stay true to what we do, agent and disability. Yeah, and if everything stays focused on the patients, both on your end and on the end of the organizations or people that you partner with, I, I think things are bound to go positively. Um, oh, absolutely. Be, and and yeah. speaking of relationships, you know, they're obviously our clients. We everything we do is client centered, so they really drive like their plan of care, what they want to see happen during the times we have services in there. So, it's it's a fun collaboration even with them because they can let us know what's important to them, and we can adjust things and make it centric towards what their values are. So, that alone is is kind of the more fun part of the collaboration because it's. All also allowing people to stay in their homes and have a say in how that looks, regardless of pay. You know, that's that's a pretty unique situation. Well, Haven, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and helping us break down the importance of community involvement for social work and specifically some of the experiences that you've had delivering some quality community engagement to better serve your elder care population. So, Haven, thank you again for joining us. It was a pleasure getting your insight, and I'm looking forward to chatting again soon. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Daniel, and it was a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B.
Till next time.